Turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We've been starting just a series using the title as kind of a jumping off point, and it's all the right stuff. And as I was really asking the Lord, what do we need to do on a Wednesday night? really felt the Lord said, equip, equip, equip. And that's out of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and following, which says, He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints in the New King James Version, is for the work of ministry. And so the whole idea and the, the role of pastors and these offices are to literally equip you to do ministry. And what I've been telling our prayer group, I want everybody to look at me just for a sec, what I've been telling them is that even though, that even though I preach the sermon, all of us bring the message. All right, I want you to hear that again. Even though I get the privilege of bringing the sermon, I preach the sermon, all of us bring the message. Does that make sense? Back in my denominational days, they had a saying in our denomination. I loved it. And it was this, every member a minister. Every member a minister. And that was something that really got driven into us hardcore, that every member is a minister. So I want you to look at the person on your right or left and say, you're a minister. Don't ever get in this mentality of, I'm going into the ministry. Now, there's a vocational ministry, and there's a career path and all that, and we understand that. But just in terms of who we are as the body of Christ, everybody here is a minister. So even though I get the privilege because I'm in the office of pastor and teacher, and that's really my gifting as pastor and teacher, even though that's, that's happening and I get to preach a sermon, all of us bring the message. Never forget that. All of us bring the message. And the message happens before church when we're hanging out. And then the message happens after church when we're hanging out. And what I love about our church is, and, and I've been to other churches that are not like this, but there are some churches that as soon as, as soon as we say amen, I mean, in about five minutes, it's like ghost town. You know, it's like, I mean, it's just like, ooh, tumbleweeds blowing through. I mean, it's just like, I mean, the place is vacated. But I love the fact that, that we have a church that likes to hang out. You know what? I think that's pleasing to the Lord, don't you? But let me tell you something. Don't ever misunderstand or, or miss this, this sense that if you run off too quick, you may miss the moment. And that the very reason that we got here was one to, to worship the Lord. Amen? But there may be a secondary issue at stake, and it might be there was somebody here in this church that you needed to encourage that day. There may have been somebody who God orchestrated a divine appointment between you and another person, and because you came and because you were here together, you had that moment to encourage. And it could be the very reason that day why God had you here or had that person here. Every day, the thing I've been doing, I don't know if y'all noticed, but before the services on Sundays, I am up and down the halls. I'm not hiding out in my office. or We don't have a green room here where, where the anointed man of God hides out before church so he, you know, no one touches him so he loses the anointing. Listen, the anointing is not that fragile, amen? We're fragile, but the anointing of God, the grace of God is not fragile, Amen. So if I'm not anointed by the time I drive up here, it's not going to happen. I mean, you don't cram study for the anointing, okay? It's not like school, like college was. I mean, literally, it's so, so my heart is to be up and down the halls. Why? Because every person who walks through the doors of this church who's a guest, they're a gift. And you've got to have that heart and that attitude. So I want to encourage you because you're the core. You guys are, you're strong. And you're the core. And I, I think I can talk to you like family. Amen. So let me just say something to you. When you come here on Sunday morning, don't just come here thinking, what can I get out of this today? 
Now, it's okay to say, God, speak to me today. Let me tell you something. God may not speak to you through the sermon. It may be through a conversation you have in the hallway. Or it may be through a child you're teaching down on the other end of the building. Or it may be through just a, what you think is a chance meeting in the hallway, and it was not a chance. Amen? So come with your radar open and even asking God, Lord, who can I minister to today? Because I am a minister. Every one of us. Amen? Does that make sense? Now, Ephesians 11, 4.11 says that, you know, there's these offices, apostle, prophet, pastor, uh, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Now, and those are for the equipping. So my role is to equip, to equip, to teach, to disciple, to prepare you and to say what I just said to you. And that is you, you bring the message, even though I preach a sermon. Does that make sense? So having that as our foundation, talking about all the right stuff, I've been just thinking and mulling over my mind. What is it that we need? What are the things that we need in our toolbox? You see the picture up there. What are the things we need in our toolbox as we navigate life, whether it's here in this building or out there in the classroom, or in the workplace, in the home? What are the tools that we need to navigate this thing? What do we need? Because let me tell you something. You need the right tool when you're working on something. Amen? How many of you have ever tried to work on something with the wrong tool? It's pretty scary, isn't it? I know some of you ladies, you know, you're getting out like a, like a spatula and trying to drive a nail. You know what I'm talking about? Never happens, huh? Using your cell phone or something, you know. I mean, come on. We just don't do that. Guys, you know, they're using a hammer to fix the TV. It's just not a good tool, right? There may be a tool that's designed for that. So we want to use the right tool. So what we're trying to do is just give you some tools. And what I want to talk about tonight is the right faith. The right faith. We're talking about all the right stuff. I want to talk about the right faith. So go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Did you turn there already? I invite you to be there. We're going to use the New International Version today. Now faith, verse 1. Now faith. Well, actually, let's just start in verse 6. Let's just start there, then we'll backtrack to verse 1. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. All right, Randall? I'm throwing Randall curveballs. Here we go. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. I'm not going to say another word yet. I want you to let, let that phrase sit on you for a minute. Without faith, it is impossible. Someone say impossible. All right, I don't have to break that down, do I? I went to parse that or anything. Literally, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, what does that tell you about how important faith is? No faith, he can't take pleasure. Is that correct? Now, do you want to please your father? Listen, I want to be a good son who pleases my father. Now, I called my daddy today, made his day. I wanted to please him, so I called him and encouraged him. And I want to please my heavenly father, too. So... If it takes faith to please my heavenly father, then how many of y'all think faith is important? So my thinking is, is if it takes faith to please God, then not only do I want to take the measure of faith that God's given me, I want to expand and increase that capacity. Amen? In other words, I want to grow in faith. Right? And we know that Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by what? Hearing And hearing by the word of God, the NIV says the message of Christ. That's what the word of God is. It's the message. It's the gospel. So by hearing the gospel, it actually increases your faith. And so as a principle, I want to hear it and hear the message and hear the gospel. And it's interesting to me that anytime I hear an evangelist share the gospel, even though in 30 years of walking with Jesus, 26 years of it in ministry of some kind, you might think I've probably heard the gospel more than once, right? But you know that every time somebody shares the gospel, it ignites something in me 
like the first time I heard it. Pastor Rice Brooks on Sunday night, we took 32 people over to Bethel, Dallas. By the way, did y'all know we're planting a church? We're planting a church. You know how many were there on Sunday night at our little church plant? 190 people were at Bethel, Dallas on Sunday night. 32 of us went over and served, and we got to hear Pastor Rice Brooks share the gospel. I kid you not, every time I hear it, it ignites me. And I've been, I've been born again a long time, but there is power in the gospel still. So it never gets old. It's not like some of the records I've got, some of the eight tracks I had, some of the cassettes I had. Well, I'm going way back, aren't I? Some of the reel-to-reel I had. Actually, that was before my time, Booker. I've got I to tell you. The reel-to-reel, I remember my dad had one. I, he never let me touch it. Do you? My dad would literally never let me touch that thing. And I, I, I don't know why. But, but, I never, but going back, you know, it's not like those things that get old to me. So it's just fresh every time I hear it. So, so when I hear it, it stirs up faith. It stirs up faith. And I heard it Sunday night again, and I just went, I just love it. It never gets old to me. It never gets old. Now, so look what it says. And without faith, it's impossible. So we know faith is important. And he says this, because anyone who comes to him, who comes to God, must believe. Someone say, must believe. Now look what it says. Must believe that he exists. New King James Version says, must believe that he is. I love that. Period. He is. No, no explanation. He is. That he, he exists. And that he, look what it says, rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know what it means to earnestly? It means, the New King James says, diligently, earnestly. That means when you're doing something in earnest, that means you're doing it with everything you have. When you're earnest, you're all in. Amen. When you're earnest, you're pressing in, you're leaning into. When I do something with earnest, I do it with gusto. I do it with passion. I sometimes, I preach and there'll be 50 people here and I'm preaching like there's 2,000 out there. Why? Because I'm earnest. And if there was two people here, I'd still do it. And those of you who have ever come see me, I do it with just you. I, I can't help it because this thing, I've been doing this a long time. I'm 49 years old. And instead of my passion and my energy diminishing, it's actually increasing. And I believe that I'm gonna, I've got a Caleb spirit on me. You know the story of Joshua and Caleb? That when he was in his 80s, come on now. When he was in 80s, he said, I'm just like I was when I was in my 40s. I've got the same strength. I've got the same tenacity. I've got the same passion. So I believe that as, as I get older, I'm not diminishing. I'm actually increasing. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. The more I hear it, the more I increase. And so my mentality and my attitude about getting older isn't like, oh, because people say, oh, getting older. Oh, look at these wrinkles. Look at this yada, yada, yada. You know, I call my dad. He's had like four surgeries this last year. And, and he's telling me, he's giving me the rundown. My grandmother's 91 and bless her heart. She's got a lot of health things going on. And and my mentality, my attitude is that even though the body may, may resist, even though the body will rebel and start its process of decay, the earth suit, my spirit man will get bigger and bigger. Amen? I look at Hannah and I look at the girls, I look at Elaine, I look at all of y'all and I think, you know what, at, at the age you are right now, even though your, your body's young and you're on but let me tell you, your spirit wants to increase no matter what happens. Amen? And so there's no excuse for me. Now, maturity, yes, but loss of passion, no. And so earnest, those who 
earnestly seek Him. Do you still earnestly seek Him after all these years? Now, I'll be real honest with you. It's real easy when you've done something over and over and over for a long time to become very familiar with it. And y'all know what familiarity breeds, right? Contempt. And so you've got to be careful that you keep things fresh in your walk with Jesus and your walk with the Lord. All right. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. So just backtrack a few verses. Now faith is being sure. I love that. That word sure is confident. Confident. When you're confident, you just know. Well, how do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, how do you know? I don't need to know how I know. I don't need to know how that clock works. I just know what it says. It says that it's about seven minutes till eight. And I don't, need to, I don't need anyone to expose anything. I don't need Randall to hold it up, turn it around so I can see the guts of that little thing. I don't need to know. In conversations, when I talk with you guys, I don't need to know how the watch works. I just need to know the time. All right? Give me the bottom line. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but I don't need to know how it works. I just see what it says. And it says to me, it gives me the time. It tells me exactly what I need to know. But I'm not going to sit and worry about how it works. I'm not going to worry about what kind of battery is driving that thing. I'm not going to worry about, about the inner, is it a Swiss movement or a Japanese? I don't care. As long as it tells me the time. Amen? Amen? So as I'm looking at it, I'm confident in what it's saying, and I don't even know how it works. Well, that's what faith is. You're confident in, in something, and yet you don't have to know. Now, we Americans, we Western thinkers, oh, Lord, we've got to break everything down. We've got to pull it. You guys in an academic situation right now, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I mean when I went to, to college and seminary, even though, man, I loved it, I loved the academic environment, I'm telling you, we pulled things apart to the point of you couldn't recognize them anymore. Now, some of that was good because there was value in exploring and and looking at things from different angles. But let me tell you something. There is something about positive, too, about stepping back and going, in this moment, in this situation, I don't need to know how. I just need to know what. I don't need to know how God's going to do it. I just know that He is. Let me tell you how faith works. Faith knows and is confident and trusts that God is going to come through no matter what. Well, how? I don't know. And you know what? As I'm getting older, I'm really finding rest and saying, I don't know. Some of you will come to me and you have questions. And I'll, I'll look at you and I say, I don't know. With a smile on my mouth, I just don't know. And it's okay. Well, how, how is God going to, I don't know. But it's okay. And I, it seems like the older I'm getting, the more at rest I'm getting. And the, the more at peace with not having to know everything. I just know the big picture, and I know in the end, I know that God is working all things together. Amen? Gosh, that's so simplistic, Pastor Jimmy. Yeah, it is. I'm returning to it. It's like a full circle. You start off as a child, and then you grow, and you get so smart as an adolescent, don't we? We just become brilliant at 15. Our parents are so stupid, and society and culture, just they don't know nothing. And then as we get older and we experience some life and some hard knocks and some pavement and some road rash in life, what happens? All of a sudden, uh, we start to come back to that place of, I don't know how God's going to do it. I just know he is. And I'm tired of, I wear myself out trying to figure out how. I just know what. I do know the why. And that is for love. And because his grace is real. So I know for you, God's going to work things out as you cooperate with him. There's, there's something on our part too, amen? 
We've got to cooperate. All right, back to this. Now faith is being sure, being confident of what we hope for. Now, you've heard me if you've been with me, and some of you haven't, but that word hope is literally the same word, expectation. And when you see that in the New Testament, we're not talking wishful thinking, because that's how we think, you know, hope for an American is, well, you know, could, could not. It might, might not. Maybe, maybe not. Perhaps, perhaps not. That's wishful thinking. But when we look at Bible faith, all the right stuff, Bible faith is confident of what we expect. And so when you put expect in there, that adds a little bit of intensity to the scripture, but it's more accurate to what it actually says. Now, faith is being confident of what we expect and certain. Man, I love that. Sure, certain. So that means that's something you can stand on. Amen. That means you're sitting down in a chair and you're not wondering if it's going to hold you up. You just sit in it. Why? Because you just know it's going to hold you up. Well, how do you know? I just know. Well, how do you know? Because it's designed to do that. But what if someone has come in and sawn a leg and you don't know it? What if it's broken? How many of you know? We just don't think about it when we sit down in a chair, do we? Why? Because we have faith. Now, I fly a lot. And let me tell you something. When I first started getting on planes back, I was a little nervous when I got on a plane. I, but, you know, I'm to a point now where it's just it's just a plane. It might as well be a bus. Might as well be my car. And I know the statistics for plane crashes. And it's in my favor that we're going to be okay. Actually, I'm safer in that plane than I am in my car driving to Dallas. So I get in the plane and I don't worry about it. Now, don't get me wrong. I say a little prayer. But I don't worry about it. I'm not stressed about it. Unless the pilot sounds like a hillbilly. Then I get a little nervous. But for the most part... I don't worry about it because they're very professional and they're very, they sound very confident when they come over the speaker, you know, and they, they address, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm good, good to go. Why? I have faith. Faith doesn't have to know how, it just knows the what and definitely understands the why. So we're certain, we're confident. So when I sit in a chair, I'm not worried about it. Now, if that chair breaks and I fall to the ground, now I might be a little leery the next time I sit in a chair, Right? But, you know, odds are in your favor. If one chair breaks, then the odds are the next one won't, right? So we know that, that we can have faith in it. There's certainty of what we do not see, Hebrews 11.1, 1, what we don't see. See, faith is certain of what you don't see. It's confident. It expects. And there comes a point in your walk with Jesus. It's, it's interesting to me because I've been a Christian such a long time that I don't have this wrestling thing of, am I saved? Am I really saved? And it's, it's almost, it's foreign to me now when someone will come to me and say, I'm just not sure if I'm born again. I, I'm not sure. And I'm like, well, did you pray in faith to receive Christ? Did you really say, I've given my life to God? I, I, yes. So why are you worried about it? Well, I still stumble sometimes. Oh, well, me too. Am I not saved? I still miss. The fact that you're worried about it tells me you probably are. That's a good sign. The fact that you've got that, that conviction, that concern, that heart, that even that sense of remorse and repentance over your sins. So there's that confidence, but you don't see, you just believe. Amen? All right, now, having laid that little bit of foundation, and, and I don't want to go too deep on that, turn with me now to the book of Matthew. Go ahead and go there in your Bibles, depending on what translation you're reading. I'm, I'm going to stay in the NIV, and it'll be on the screen but I want to share a scripture that's familiar. But I think there's some things in it when we talk about this thing called faith. 
Because I honestly believe this. I don't believe anyone here is asking enough. I'm not talking about stuff. I could care less about that. I'm talking about asking for the things of God, the things of the kingdom, the, the dreams that God planted in you at one time that you've allowed to be diminished because hope deferred makes the heart what? Sick. And when things get put off and don't happen the way you think they will, you get disappointed. You get sick. Your heart gets sick. That's despair. And a lot of Christians are walking around in despair because when they thought they had a dream or heard something from God and it didn't happen quickly, they feel abandoned by God and disappointed. Can I get an amen? That's just real. That's where we live. But let me tell you something. I, I love the fact that I think God is stirring. I know he's stirring me that I have allowed some disappointments. I've allowed hope being deferred in my own life in my own dreams and what I thought would happen by a certain time in my life or a certain point in my life, I've allowed those things to cause me to become much more relaxed and conservative in my faith. Where I, now I'm not taking the risks like I used to, hanging things out there in faith like I used to, believing God with passion like I used to. And I've just... I've just made a decision. And, and let me just say something. All it takes is a decision. You know, you can turn something on a decision, right? All of us know we're one decision away from disaster, right? I hope, right? You know that? We're also one decision away from victory. It's just a decision. It's a quality decision where you make up your mind to say, I'm going to believe again. I'm going to dream again. I'm going to ask again. Because I believe that God has so much more for us in taking this gospel to this world than we've even dared to ask for. I think we've grown comfortable and complacent. Maybe I'm just talking about me. But I'm daring to ask again. I'm daring to believe. I'm saying, God, stir me up. Fire me up. Mess me up. Undignify me. Whatever you need to do. Because I'm tired of this status quo. Amen? I'm tired of business as usual. Amen? Now, so look at, look at this amazing account. I love this. In verse 22, Matthew chapter 14 says this immediately. Now, understand what just happened here was the disciples saw an amazing thing happen. Jesus just fed 5,000, and that's just numbering the men, by the way. They didn't even count the women and children, not that they were devalued, but just the way they counted it. It was a patriarchal society. And so they just numbered the men, and the, and the men numbered in the 5,000. And so we saw a miracle happen with the five loaves and two fish, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. shows the heart of God. But look what happens immediately after that, okay? Right on the heels of that, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Even Jesus needs downtime. Come on, somebody. Now, listen, I mean, there are times when you're spent and you need to recharge your batteries. Amen. Amen. So that's what he was doing. He, he went to be before the Lord on the mountain. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, I've been there in 05. I got to I was blessed. So fortunate to get to go to Israel. And we got to do a little, it's so touristy. I mean, it's like, we're going to go a little ride on the Sea of Galilee, you know. So we, we got in a little boat, and we went out there, and it was cute. 
But the, the lake is one big honking lake, okay? It looks like a sea. So even though you can, you can see from one side to the other, it's down in a bowl. There's hills all around. It's beautiful. In fact, it's stunning. I, I could not believe. My, my idea of Israel was always the West Bank. You know, the stuff you see on TV, you know, turrets with guns. And, you know, it's terrible. Rocky, you know, like Baja, California or something. But it's actually stunning, especially in the northern, in the Galilee area. Beautiful, green, fertile mountains, hills, trees, I don't know what your thought of, olive tree groves everywhere, all the hills, it is incredible, it's stunning, I'm just going, I can see why Jesus could easily see his father in this, because he was so inspired by the beauty of it, and the lake is stunning, beautiful, because you're up on a hill looking out over the lake, and it's just incredibly gorgeous, so he was, he was raised in that culture and raised in that area, and he had his eyes on that all the time. That's why when he was down on the lake, he'd say, you know, a city set on a hill, he's looking around the lake. He sees all these, the hills that go around the lake, and he's talking about the city set on a hill. And he's talking about, you know, they don't hide their, you know, their, their light under a bushel. Let your light shine, because he's looking around, seeing all that. So anyway, he was inspired by all that. When you're there, you start to get a, it starts to figure into the scripture, and you begin to make sense of the word. So, in this scenario, they're out on the lake, and the lake is known because storms will come up over the hills because it's surrounded by hills, and you won't see them coming. So, you can actually get caught out on the lake, especially then. They didn't have technology. Nobody had an iPhone back then. Nobody, you know, nobody had a weather band. I mean, there was nothing. They had nothing. All they, they had to read the signs, watch the weather, and hopefully read it right, but you could get caught out there very easily. And, it, and because it's such a large lake, the waves that would be produced by the winds would be huge, just like out on the sea. So look what it says. That's exactly what happens. They're buffeted by the waves, verse 24, because the wind was against it. Verse 25, during the fourth watch of the night, late into the night, Jesus went out to them. I love the Bible because it just kind of so nonchalantly says, walking on the lake. Okay, I don't know about you, but I'm going, what? What? <laughs> okay, he's just walking on the lake. All right, here he goes. Verse 26. When the, and I would be like the disciples. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Well, duh. I mean, seriously. Even though they love Jesus, I mean, when he's walking out on the lake, it's just unreal. It's unnatural. You know, there's so many horror movies and weird movies that... Horror movies don't scare me when it's the things that go bump in the night. What scares me is when they do something with special effects that make the human body do something unnatural. I'm serious. I mean, and I hate to admit it, but I've seen some creepy bad movies. And I remember one, it was, it was like the possession of Emily Rose or some, some weird freaky movie. And first of all, I don't like those kind of movies at all because I've seen too much in real life. I've been in scenarios where I've seen some stuff that's unnatural. So when I, I, it's not entertainment to me on the screen. And yet, you know, I was watching this movie with some friends over. And her body's like going, bam, 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 bam. And I'm like, that's unnatural. Things that are unnatural freak us out. When the body bends the opposite way it should, right? Yeah, when your head's spinning around, you're spitting pea soup. I mean, we're going back, way back on that one to the exorcist. That stuff freaks us out because it's unnatural. And that stuff scares me worse than, you know, a snake or a spider or whatever, uh, you know, piranhas or whatever you're watching. But that stuff, and so the reason they're so freaked out is because it's completely unnatural. 
So they think, this can't be real, or it's, it's a ghost, it's a demon. So they freak out, they scream, they cry out in fear. But Jesus immediately, I love the immediately's in the Bible, amen? Jesus, whoa, 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 calm down. He said to them, take courage, it's okay, it's, it's I, don't be afraid, yeah, whatever. You know, they're freaking out. So I can imagine that sentence probably, in reality, probably went on a little longer than the text. You know what I mean? You got to read into it a little bit, but come on. You think, it is, oh, it's Jesus, everybody, it's okay, come on, walk. No, they're all freaking out, and only one speaks up. It's, of course, it's, it's the biggest mouth in the bunch, right? Do you know why Peter was always the one speaking up? Because he was the elder disciple. And in the rabbinic culture, the elder disciple was a spokesman for the group. So we're really hard on Peter sometimes thinking, man, how, why does he always, he was supposed to open his mouth. He was the one, the designated disciple, the elder disciple, who would actually speak up in scenarios. It wasn't just because he was always presumptuous. It might have been because James was presumptuous. Or because Andrew, or one of the other disciples going, ask Jesus this, say this. And then Peter would say something, and he'd get, get behind me, Satan. And then he'd be like, Andrew, crap, you know, got me in trouble again. Think about, it. now, here, the reason I joke about this is you've got to understand, these are real people. We just, we so fairy tale this stuff, and we so flannel graph this stuff. You know, we, we still see them as little shepherds on a flannel gram, you know, on a flannel board, and we're putting pieces up. you got to realize these are real people with real emotions, and these are real scenarios. So when we read them, you've got you've to gotta step back a little bit and go, what's real in this, and what would, what would a person really feel as they, read, as they experienced Jesus walking on the water? And by the way, he wasn't floating, and he was saying hands weren't out, you know. I mean, he was walking to them. Like you would walk on land, he was walking to them. I mean, think about it. He'd just been in God's presence. He went up on the hillside. He's so anointed, so filled with the power of God. He's like, I guess I'll just walk. I mean, here he goes. So full of God. Says something about getting alone with God, does it not? But we never extract that out of the story because we're just so caught up in what's going on with the disciples. But he could do that because he had been in the presence of God. So filled with God. In that moment, he defied the laws of physics. So are you still with me? And we're talking about faith here and believing and stepping up and stretching. Okay, so Jesus says, look, it's I. Don't be afraid. Verse 28. Then Peter steps up. The rest of them are handed, but Peter steps up. Look what Peter does. Man, there's a time when you ought to just keep your mouth shut. You know what I mean? Look what he does. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. I'm thinking, bad question. Because if you ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer, right? So you've got to learn how to write, ask right questions. I'm like, Jesus, if it's you, come on in the boat. We welcome you. you know? But no, he's like, if it's you, I'm going to come out there. I mean, he's like Forrest Gump seeing, you know, Lieutenant Dan, you know. He's like, just walks right off the boat. So here he is. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come. I mean, that word right there. Jesus says, okay. First of all, Jesus says, well, he kind of pinned me down with the if it's me thing. So it's me. <laughs> Come on. You know, Peter set the question up. I mean, Jesus would have had to lie to, to get out of that. So he just said, no, it's me. Come on. So look what he says. Come, he said, verse 29. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water. Okay. Before we just bag on Peter, before we just get all over his case and make fun of him again. He actually did walk on the water. 
And do you understand that if he took one step, one step, he was already in tall cotton in faith? Come on now. I mean, he was already at a level that, I mean, when was the last time you actually took a step and the water sustained your weight and held your weight? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but as kids, we'd try to run out on the water, you know, at the pool, and the lifeguard's going, quit running, and you just try it anyway, you know. Or you'd run out on a, on a mattress trying to, you know, stay up, you know. But, but he literally got down out of the boat, and it says, he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. That tells me more than one step. But even if it was one, it's still a miracle. And how many of you know that's great faith? It's great faith. So before we tear him up for what's about to happen... Remember that he did walk on water. It was he stepped into a realm that few of us have ever touched in that moment. Okay, so give him credit. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Yeah, we can talk about, oh, yeah, he got his eyes off Jesus. Yeah, it's, that applies. It's true. What I love the fact is that he had the presence of mind to cry out to Jesus. Okay. He could have easily just gone, I'm, here I go, I'm down. I'm swimming back to the boat, but he cried out to Jesus. Look what he says, Lord, save me. Immediately, see there's another immediately. We've got a bunch of immediately's in this story. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Now, be careful because you really need to look at what this word faith, pistis, means. It literally, he's talking about here a dynamic faith, and it's actually an explosive faith. He had great faith for a moment. Great faith for a moment. But it wasn't sustainable faith. It cannot be sustained. And so he had it for a moment. He says, why did you doubt? Verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat... Now, here's the thing. Did Jesus, like, pick him up like a baby and they walked back? I mean, come on. As if Peter wasn't humiliated enough. I think Jesus probably just grabbed him and we just, let's go. And took him back. That's, that's how I see it. I'm telling the story so I can tell it that way. All right, you, you can have your own version. But I like to think that the grace of God and the love of God was, okay, you couldn't do it on your own, but I will do it with you. Because it says they went back to the boat. It says, it says when they climbed into the boat. So... Apparently, however far out they were, they came back to the boat. And I have a feeling that Jesus didn't say, all right, come on. You know, grab him. Here we go, Peter. You're humiliated. You're wet. All the disciples are laughing. You know, the boys are up on the boat making fun of him. Or it was like, wow, Jesus pulled him up, saved him. Here he goes. He's doing it again. I don't know. That's, that's my thoughts. I don't know about yours. It says, when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. <laughs> Story over, lesson done. <laughs> then those who were in the boat worshipped. Now, when we say worship, they didn't bust out singing a song, okay? They didn't start singing, you know, uh, Savior. They, they literally, that, that word literally means they bowed down. I mean, there was such reverence, such fear, such awe. That, it, that word literally means they bowed down. They just got down before him like, oh my gosh, this really happened. They just bowed down before him in worship. I love that. You know, there's a time in worship to stand up and cheer. But there is also a time to be, to recognize who he is. In America, particularly in our kinds of churches, we get real casual about worship. You know, and then, and if we're not careful, we get prideful and we make fun of mainline churches or maybe something we came out of that had a different worship style just be very careful. 
don't fall into that trap because it is a trap. Because there is a time to really go low before God and just in humility. Amen? And worship Him. Then those who were in the boat worshiped Him. They bowed down. Truly, you are the Son of God. Man, what a statement. Then when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the, men, when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to Him. He didn't get a long rest, did he? And begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. Now, just, just a couple of just observations and we'll go. I, my, my heart tonight in talking to you was, was basically to do this. To stir your faith again. Because I, I don't know what everybody's facing. I, you know, we read communication cards every Sunday. And we, we, we know folks here are going through stuff. The things that are put on those cards very personal, and, and we read them and we treat them with, 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 with reverence. I mean, because we know we're, we're a steward of what you share with us. So our staff is very, we don't, this is not a time to cut up. This is a time to read these and pray and go to war for you. So we know, we know that, that in, in general, from any sun, given Sunday, folks are going through a lot of stuff. I mean, whether it's whether it's eating disorders or whether it's it's relational mess or marriage stuff or or uh, health, physical things, school things, finances. I mean, you name it, it's it's there every Sunday on those cards every week. And and we better have some faith when we get our eyes on it. You know what I mean? I mean, because I'm telling you, if we don't, it can, that's why we put the I'm thankful for just to help us out a little bit. It's like, please put something you're thankful for so we can rejoice with you also. It helps us. But here's the thing. I, 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 I'm just completely convicted. And I told Annette, Annette's not here. She's sick tonight. She's fighting whatever this stuff's going around. Uh, same with Pastor Rich, by the way. He's had the flu all week. So he's, he's uh, Donna's keeping him home on his back, medicated. So... So we've got folks, you know, things going on. But, but I was telling Annette today, I said, honey, I said, I, I, I repented to her. I said, I've been believing for too little. I've just gotten, I, I've, I've allowed my vision to diminish. Not, not that I don't still ex- get excited and see. It's just I've lost that tenacity, that earnestness that we were talking about on really believing God. Believing God for this city. Believing God. I don't know if y'all remember this, but back in 2002, Pastor Jim LaFoon prayed over me spoke over me at pastor school over in nashville and he said this he said there's a building situation in another part of the city while you're pastoring there and as you shake the tree by faith you're going to be surprised at the plums that'll fall into your lap he said there's a building situation in another part of the city while you're pastoring there that will fall into your lap in an amazing way now there was a precursor there you as you shake the tree by faith so I've been going, okay, have I been shaking the tree by faith? If, if that is from God, if that is a word of the Lord, a prophetic word, and I believe that word, then that means if I believe that's a word from God, then my responsibility is, is to walk in obedience to the conditions of that word. And the condition of that word was as you shake the tree by faith. So I have to be honest, have I been shaking the tree by faith? So what I've done over the last couple of years is when I see a building property up and I go wow that would make a neat church and trust me every time I see an empty building I'm going would it work would it work I mean literally I just think that way in town so as I'm driving all over the city I see buildings and what I do if there's a phone number on the building I just call the number 
all right, what do you want for the building? Well, how interested are you? Well, I'm very interested. How, you know, what are you talking, you know, inevitably it's ridiculous. It's, it's definitely not a plum falling in my lap from heaven, okay? It's like, whoa, okay, no, 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 never mind. When you get ready to give it to us, call us back, you know, I'll give you my number. When God tells you to give it away, you know. But here's the deal, I don't, I don't look at our finances, I don't look at what we have or don't have, it's just God said, and therefore, so I've been, I told Annette today, I said, I just repent, I said, I, I believe it's time to, it's time to re-engage at another level. Because it's so easy in Abilene to think everybody's saved, everybody's okay, everybody, you know, everybody goes to church, I mean, there's hardly a person in town, yeah, or, you know, well, you, where do you fellowship? Well, everybody fellowship somewhere 20 years ago, or 15 years ago, I mean, everybody's got a home church, but um, Jesus has a big fan base here, but not a big follower base. Does that make sense? And so we cannot allow ourselves to be lulled into this mentality of our community that's kind of a nice small town, nice community, nice people, good salt of the earth, but, but become casual about this. Amen? Amen? So my heart, as I'm stirring my own faith, I told Annette, here's what I told her about you guys tonight. I said, they don't know this. No, I'm telling you. They don't know this, but I'm preaching to me tonight. This one's for me. So I'm, I'm using you. Thank you for letting me work all this out in front of you. But I really mean that. My passion is, is oh, God, don't let the fire go out. Don't let the flame die down. Stir it up. Stir it up. So what am I saying to me? Stir it up, Jimmy. Not Pastor Jimmy, Jimmy, stir it up. Jimmy Dale, if you will. Stir it up. That's what my granny calls it. Stir it up. And do not allow the flame to diminish one bit. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I'm speaking to you now. Stir it up. Stir it up. Don't allow the flame to go out. Stir it up. Stir it up. Quit breaking the clock apart. Just see what time it is. See what it says. What does it say? Amen? Amen? All right. So what would you dare to believe God for? What's going on in your life? What could you dare to ask for? What have you stopped asking for that you used to ask for? Because you thought, well, it must not be God's will. Maybe it just wasn't God's time. But if God put it in your heart, it may still be His will. just wasn't His time. I talked to a pastor friend. I'll close with the story. Seriously. This is the real close. I talked to a pastor friend of mine that I hadn't talked to in a while. I called him. His name's Henry. Pastor Henry, he's a country boy. Woo, country. I said, Pastor Henry, how you doing? Well, Brother Jimmy. He calls me Brother Jimmy. Brother Jimmy, I'm doing good. I said, he's moved to another town. And I remember talking to him on the phone back when he was at a church that on a good Sunday had 15 people there. And, of course, it's easy from the outside to go, Henry, dude, you need to move on. God put Ichabod on that thing a long time ago. Move on. And I, and, and I would just encourage him because he was just, he called me, oh, one family was out of town. We had eight people there today. I mean, it was just devastating. It was constantly, and they were mean. And he was just constantly getting beat up by this little group of, I'm just like, the religious spirit, I was just like, oh, Lord, I have it so good. I mean, just unbelievable. He made me very thankful for you. And just over and over, just, oh. Uh, and I talked to him today, and I remember having conversations with him where he'd say, oh, I want out of here so bad. This is over. He was in Louisiana. He said, I want out of here so bad. 
And I'd say, well, has God released you? You need to go. No, God has not released it. He stuck with it and stuck with it for years. And finally, finally, he felt a release. He and his wife were praying, and they felt a release, and he, he knew it was time. Fifteen mad people, and he, he put out his resumes in a denomination. They took that. He started getting calls. Well, when his church found out that he was going in view of a call for another church, they got mad at him. And they started telling him, you're, you've, you're the worst pastor we've ever had. They just berated him. It's horrible. Still talking about him months and months later. And, he, and I said, so you left, right? He said, no, they offered to pay me, pay me like a month of my salary, and then I'd just go. And he said, but no, I gave my word. I'd stay through the end of that month. He said, I stayed through the end of that month. Like, I said, man, I'd have taken the money and run. I'd have beaten a path out of that town, load my U-Haul and go. And uh, he said, no, but I gave my word. And uh, I said, well, tell me about your church now. He said, he said, Jimmy, it's amazing. He said, I'm so blessed. He said, stuff that I tried there that just failed and failed and failed and but I felt God told me, but I still just failed and failed and failed. He said, I'm doing all of that here now, and it's prospering, and it's growing, and it's working. And we just added six new people. He's so excited. I said, man, how many of you in church? God, man, we got 80 people. And man, he's excited, and God's added to him. You know what that told me? The stuff he was asking and believing for was God's will, just wasn't God's time. And now he's getting to implement all those things that were in his heart to do. What is it? And it just got me thinking today. What is it in your life that you asked God for and you didn't hear anything? Heaven went silent. You just gave up because you thought, well, that must not be God's will. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe it just wasn't God's time. So take Henry. Take Brother Henry's story and let that inspire you. Let it encourage you to grab hold of some things that maybe you've let go. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to encourage them to ask the Holy Spirit to just put this deep in your heart. And just, would you just think for me, just with me, just for a moment, what is it, brother? What is it, sister? What is it that God put in your heart that got put off? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a dream realized, a tree of life, so what is it that got put off? That maybe you thought, I missed it. Must not have been God. Could it be that thing or those things? It's not that they weren't the will of God. It just wasn't the timing of God. Are you thinking of anything? Is there anything in your heart? Is there anything? Holy Spirit, I'm just asking you, Holy Spirit, would you stir in our hearts things that we've let go that are of you? I'm not talking about ridiculous things that are not of you, but those things, Lord, that were dreams that you gave us, would you bring them into clarity, into focus right now, in our hearts, in our minds, eye right now? I just want you to just be open to that. Let, let God use your sanctified imagination. Father, those things that are of you that, that we've let go, it could be you're here tonight and you need to repent. 
Repent simply means to change your mind. It's to change the way you think. It's to change the direction you're going. So it could be you need to repent, not just go before God slobbering at the altar. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. No, oh, Lord, oh, I did let go of that. I'm going to reorient my thinking right now. I'm going to reorient myself back to to the things that you gave me in the dreams you spoke to my heart. So I'm going to re-engage that. That's repentance. You're lining your thoughts back up with his. That's repentance. You're, you're going back the other way. So would you do that right now? Just realign your thinking. Lord, what is it that I let go that was of you that I misunderstood the timing? Now, just with your head bowed, your eye closed, would you just right now in your heart just re-engage that and say, Lord, I'm going to re-engage that dream. I'm going to lay hold of that again. And Father, my prayer for each of us here tonight is that we would grab hold of that dream just like Jacob grabbed hold of the man and said, I will not let you go until it's realized, until you bless me. And Lord, if we have to walk with a limp, we walk with a limp. Lord, Jacob did not let go of that dream. Father, forgive me. Forgive us where we've let go of things that you planted in our heart. And just because we didn't get a ready answer, an immediate answer, we, we just we went on to other things. We neglected it. And so, Lord, right now, I just ask for just even just by your spirit to help us re-engage those things you've spoken to us. Father, hear our repentance tonight. Hear our hearts tonight. That as we re-engage, Father, there will be a time that we will realize. It will be reality. So, Lord, we commit that to you. To say, Lord Jesus. Everybody out loud. Lord Jesus. I re-engage. Your dreams. Your call. Your assignments. On my life. Please forgive me for neglecting, for misunderstanding, for turning away. I re-engage your mandate, your assignment on my life. And I do it by faith, not wishful thinking, but expectation. In Jesus' name, everyone said.